Do you wish you could take back the worst day of your life? Welcome to another bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is ordinarily a podcast where I review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology series. In this bonus episode series, however, um, I am reviewing Amazon Prime's new sci-fi anthology series, Solos, which was created by David Weil. For archives of all of my episodes, including past bonus episode series, visit AnthologyPod.com, and you can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod, and follow me on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. And if you listened to uh, episode four of this bonus episode series, episode bonus episode number 55, um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I tried something different with the Patreon spiel, and I'm going to try something also different with the Patreon spiel here, so... <laughs> Um, again, this is maybe embarrassing and awkward and stuff, but here we go. Are you in the market for more content from the Obsessive Viewer and our related podcasts, Anthology and Tower Junkies? You're in luck. Due to a government stimulus check and an overbearing fear of the outside world thanks to a global pandemic, Obsessive Viewer Podcasts is overstocked with Patreon content. Come on down to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and take advantage of our deals on hundreds of extra content. We've got over 130 B-roll episodes at only $1 per month. TV reviews at $2 per month, full-length movie commentary tracks at $5 per month, and early access to full episodes plus unreleased and exclusive content at $10 per month. At these prices, we're practically giving this stuff away. Just head on down to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer to sign up. Again, that website is patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Sign up today. Um, okay, so that's that. <laughs> and as I've been saying in all of these bonus episode episodes, um... <clears throat> I'm working on getting all seven of these episodes recorded and ready to go to post on the Patreon page on May 21st. Uh, Right now it is May 18th. I took the day off of work today um, for a mental health day and to record as many of these as I could. So this is my second recording of the day, and I'm hoping tonight I will be able to squeeze out the last two. But... May 21st, the $10 patrons will get access to all seven of these episodes, whereas the regular um, podcast listeners, who I love dearly on the main feed, I do love you guys, thank you guys so much for listening and supporting me here, but they will get access to these bonus episode series one at a time, beginning on May 21st, and then following every Tuesday after that until I release all um, seven of the episodes. So if you want all access to all of these um check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and uh, get the uh, $10 per month um, Patreon sub- subscription level. So yeah. So thank you guys. And <laughs> that's that's my spiel. Um, so today on the podcast, um, I am going to be continuing my seven part bonus episode series for the new sci-fi anthology series, Solos, which, as I said, premiered all of its episodes on May 21st, 2021 on Amazon Prime Video. In this episode specifically, I'll be reviewing Jenny, which is episode 5 of the series, and star it stars um, Constance Wu as a woman who asks herself why she's been in a waiting room for ages, only to realize it may be retribution for something she did in the past. Which I think that that, um, that summary... I'm, so I'm getting these little descriptions and everything from the Twitter... Um, thread that Amazon Prime Video tweeted, like, uh, at this point, probably a month or so ago, um, 
I'm getting those descriptions from the that Twitter thread and uh it was kind of like the announcement twitter thread and everything and i gotta say i feel like this description is a little bit spoilery so yeah um yeah so i i don't know that's a little bit too much information but um on that same note in my review i'm gonna be spoiling the entire episode of jenny so uh make sure you watch it before listening to this episode and by the way i'm also trying out new recording configurations and locations in my apartment that i'm doing so um i do apologize for the sound of the air conditioner um in the previous bonus episode um and the kind of echoey effect there i was recording in a certain space in my living room and i don't know that i like it in that space so um yeah just more tinkering and everything right now i'm recording in a more treated area of my living room which is kind of funny because it's right by my kitchen which i think would be more echoey but i don't know anyway this is this is all prime stuff for patreon (laughs) um this is the kind of content you get at the one dollar level on patreon so patreon.com slash obsessive viewer um okay so this episode of solos stars constance Wu as jenny And she's known for her roles in Crazy Rich Asians, Hustlers, Fresh Off the Boat. And she was also in an episode of Dimension 404 on Hulu, which I covered in bonus episode 18 of this podcast. Like, holy crap. Um, First of all, she was in the the episode that she was in was called Bob. I don't remember her role in that episode. I don't really remember that episode terribly well, except there was like an alien or something. I don't know. But just it's just kind of crazy to me. Um. I reviewed that episode and I reviewed that episode of television in bonus episode 18 of the podcast. And here I am recording bonus episode 56 of anthology, which is insane to me because anthology I created as a, just, um, as a way for me to watch the twilight zone in, in podcasts about my watching the twilight zone. And I'm on episode of my main feed. Uh, (laughs) um, I'm on episode like 73 or four, um, of the main feed and I'm up to episode bonus episode 56. So it's just insane to me how this has grown and everything. And I do appreciate you guys' support and everything. So Constance Wu to round out her credits. Uh, she was also in a movie called parallels from 2015. And I had, I had originally, and I don't know if I will or not, but I'd originally kind of envisioned that these bonus episodes would be accompanied by a B-roll episode that I would put on Patreon when the episode actually releases. And each episode would kind of have each bonus episode for uh, each Patreon B-roll episode would uh, have like a little mini review of a corresponding science fiction movie or show or what have you that is somehow related to to the episode of solos that I'm reviewing. But I don't know if that's going to happen. But I think what I might do is um, and this is all superfluous because the people who are um, uh, Patreon supporters know this already because this is in the future, but, um, I think what I'm going to do is use those, um, B-roll episodes. Uh, I'm going to record little like progress reports of my, uh, playing of, uh, Mass Effect, the legendary edition, which I just got my hands on. Uh, I got that came out May 14th. And that weekend of May 14th to May 17th or 16th, um, I had to watch a ton of stuff for Indie Film Fest. 
because I was a, I was on the jury and stuff. So I was like, I played a little bit of Mass Effect, but not not as much as I would have liked to. So, so I'm looking forward to this weekend just digging into Mass Effect after I get my anthology stuff in order. So anyway, um, that's a long winded way of saying that Constance Wu was in a movie called Parallels, which is a science fiction movie from 2015 that uh, maybe I'll check out eventually. Writer for this episode was Becca Bowling, and interestingly enough, she played uh, she w- she was an actress in an episode of Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. She played synth female attendant. Um, I don't remember what episode it was. I didn't mark that down, but um, <clears throat> that's neat because Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams was a fun show that was on Amazon Prime also. And, uh, I think it was like co-produced by, um, a, a production company across the pond, but, um, it's interesting because that, so, okay. So <laughs> this might be a complete mistake considering that my intention with these bonus reviews is to record them and then release them all on day one of the release of the show. And I'm already behind because the show is premiering in a couple of days. Um, so I need to kind of crunch and, and get these episodes recorded and everything. So having said that, this might be a mistake for me to do, but I do plan on finally, finally, finally covering Philip K. Dick's electric dreams this year. Absolutely. Like hard stop. It's going to happen this year. 2021 is like the, the year that I finally cover this show that was in like 2018. <laughs> So, um, I'm going to do that regardless, but my plan is, and again, this might be a mistake to reveal this because I can't guarantee I'll get it done, but I'm looking at, uh, doing that bonus episode series in the same style that I'm doing the solos ones. So I'm thinking that I'll do week to week releases when, when I get them all done, but all 10 episodes will be available all at once for the $10 Patreon supporters. Um, on the day that the first episode of that bonus episode series comes out on the main feed. And I'm looking at August, August 3rd being the start of that bonus episode series. So if all goes as planned, I have enough lead time that I'll be able to bank all of those episodes. I'll release all of them on the Patreon for the $10 subscribers on August 3rd. And then from there, we'll go week to week on the main feed with, with all 10 episodes. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, we'll, we'll see what uh, life has planned for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, Becca Bowling was in an episode of Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. So, I mean, cool. And now she wrote an episode of Solos. Director for this episode, as is the case with many of these episodes, is David Wilde, the creator of the show. And, uh, like I've said before, um, since this show is by design, kind of pretty bare bones and everything, I'm just going to go ahead and go into my feelings as a viewer on this episode of Solos. So, So I feel like this episode really leaned into a more comedic tone for the most part, for most of it. And to be honest, that first time I watched it, I really wasn't as engaged with it, uh, with that tone and everything. Um, and also I kind of felt like that since this is the first episode where a character doesn't interact or play off of another character in terms of like a robot or an AI character, I found that to be kind of distracting because Constance Wu, her character is very like um it's a, it's a unique performance and a unique tone to strike because it does play up this whole like train wreck party animal kind of um kind of character but it is shielding this incredibly depressing and sad and horrific truth but underneath it so i don't know i just kind of found it a little bit distracting that's that 
her interactions, her monologues are all we have to, to kind of go off of. And I, it was kind of fun to see her play like a bit of a train wreck character. It wore pretty thin as the episode progressed, but, um, when it shifted to that more dark kind of tone and that more dark, um, the, the darkness as the darkness beneath that facade of a train wreck kind of day drinking drunk person in a waiting room, uh, as the facade kind of became lit was lifted off and it revealed a much darker reality behind it. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of really latched onto that and I really appreciated that and respected the episode for it. And also uh, toward the end of the episode, I really started to wonder how it would f tie into science fiction <laughs> because I honestly, I, I honestly could not tell like where it was going in terms of that. And that really, um, that really played up that reveal at the end because I was really, really shocked by the end of this episode. And, and I think it really tied the writing together and hit this emotional surface in a, in a really, really big way. Um, and overall, I, uh, overall thoughts, I thought that the episode was solid. So now that I've gotten that out of the way, I will talk more, uh, more specifically about this episode of Solos, episode five titled Jenny. Okay. So right off the bat, um, I've seen this episode a couple of times and that first time I watched it, I honestly did not get the impression that she was in a waiting room. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was, it was because I watched the episode really late at night or if it was because I, um, just didn't pay close enough attention to it. But I like right from the start, I just didn't get the fact that she was in a waiting room. So before I started this episode, the second time when I was making my notes, I put, so she's in a waiting room according to the plot description, but I didn't really get that from the episode. And then as if the universe was playing a cruel joke on me and making me feel like with the intention of making me feel stupid or <laughs> what have you, um, the episode starts and the literally the opening of the episode is a rapid fire series of multiple, multiple shots of empty seats, magazines, a fish tank, literally all of the accoutrement uh, that signals that we're in a waiting room. <laughs> and apparently in that first that first um, viewing of it, that just completely went over my head. And maybe part of that is because we see the, the like that first magazine we see is for the Remember Me robot, which is alluded to or is featured in uh, the Tom episode. Maybe I was a little bit distracted by that Easter egg, but also that might be a little bit of me making an excuse for my <laughs> lack of attention. Um, and as the episode in that first viewing, as that, as the episode played out, I really thought that, like, I kept thinking that this was supposed to be her neighbor's house, um, specifically because, like, you can focus on all of the different parts of the um, of the set to show that it's a waiting room. But the actual overall set design just looks a little too futuristic and a little too for lack of a better word, it looked a little too homey. Like it looked like a home and that's where it kind of got a little bit, uh, can muddled with me, but that, uh, that second viewing really cleared that up because I paid closer attention to it. So paying attention pays off. So we're introduced to Jenny. She is sitting in the waiting room, uh, um, clearly still a little drunk. She mentioned she's still a little drunk. She's dressed as an angel and, uh, she mentions that she was 
uh, at a two-year-old's birthday party, and it was a costume party, hence why she's dressed as an angel from the Bible. Um, and I feel like that's fine enough as, in terms of symbolism and foreshadowing and everything. And then she mentions that she's still probably a little drunk. And I thought that that's, that, like, that's when it should key us into the fact that there's something seriously wrong here since she was drunk at a two-year-old's birthday party. Um, and that, that I thought was an interesting way to kind of bring us into this, to this set setting in this character and everything. And, uh, but, <clears throat> but I kind of feel like that drunken aspect to the character kind of makes the episode feel a little bit more scattered and disconnected for me, which I'll go into more as I progress through this review, but it just kind of felt like a little, um, it just felt a little bit too kooky and, uh, and I'll, like I said, I'll talk more about it as I go on, but I just, I, I just kind of felt like, okay, this is a, this is a weird, a weird element to the story that, um, obviously, obviously it has a payoff at the end, but just right at the front, it kind of seems a little bit disconnected from the rest of it. So she talks more about, and she talks more about how her and her husband are trying for a baby and it's kind of funny in its crassness talking about how like, oh, just basically um, that just means that I'm letting my husband ejaculate into me and uh, with the hopes of uh, building up his ego or something like that. And it's I don't know, like it like that's kind of funny on the surface. But when you go back and view it in the context of her full story, it doesn't really hold up to repeat viewings because this is an incredibly tragic, traumatic story. And to have it have such an important element of that be dismissed with this comedic kind of crassness and vulgarity. Like I'm not a prude and I'm not offended by that or anything, but when viewed in the whole piece and the entire, the entirety of the entire piece, it kind of feels a little bit, uh, not disrespectful. It feels a little bit careless with the emotional, um, struggle of the character. And it, I understand that it's supposed to be like, um, it's supposed to be mysterious. It's supposed to hold back that information until the end, but to go back and see her talk so recklessly and vulgarly about, uh, her, her attempts to get pregnant is just, just, uh, super, super downer. Um, and really, really colors the, the comedy aspect of it, which is such a, it's a bummer because that is the prevailing tone of the episode. Like we're supposed to, at least in that first half, because we're supposed to see her as this kind of train wreck kind of character who doesn't really have her life together. She makes bad choices and everything. And then later in the episode, in the kind of the climax of the episode, we learn why she is that way, why this is a part of her life and everything. So I don't know. It just kind of feels a little bit disjointed and disconnected, um, in terms of tone and, and marrying that tone with the other, with, with the rest of it. So, um, <clears throat> she goes on to say that she feels like she was meant to be a mother and, uh, she says, and again, this is just needlessly, needlessly cruel and dark in terms of tone, but she says she's she feels like she was meant to be a mother because she's not afraid of poop or accidentally killing it anymore. And like, again, it's 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 kind of presented as this kind of funny thing that this drunk woman is saying, like it's like supposed to be her inhibitions are lowered and she's saying what she's thinking and everything. And it's also hinting at her miscarriage and and the the kind of trauma that she suffered but it's done in this tone that's 
supposed to be comedic and like we're not fully on board with uh the the struggle and the the tragedy of it and everything so it just feels a little bit weird and and out of place and the kind of dryness with that the dryness of her delivery is just overall disturbing in the full context of the episode and it just kind of I didn't, I didn't like it I didn't like that so so she goes on to talk about babysitting Tyler. And again, I'm, I'm going to say this. I think I said it in my kind of overview, but it kind of feels like this episode is lacking because this whole idea of her talking into a void, like we don't get her playing off of another character or another voice, like in every episode that's come before this. So there is that disconnect of this person talking into a vacuum. And I, <laughs> I should realize... uh that's what I'm doing right now. So, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if that says something about me or what, but, um, I don't know. I, it kind of feels like I was primed for her to at least play off of something. I, I don't know, but she talks about her babysitting Tyler, her neighbor, and how he watches her come up when she gets home. And, uh, and, and she kind of, that's seeding this tragedy, the tragic element, the tragic reveal at the end of the episode, uh, pretty well. Like that's one thing that this episode does incredibly well is it sets up that reveal at the end, incredible, like, like really, really good, um, or really, really well. Um, I always, anytime I say really like in anytime I have the, um, the, um, what's the word, uh, the urge to say good instead of well, when I should say well, I always think of a line from, I think like the first or second episode of 30 Rock where, um, where one of the characters, where, where Tracy Jordan says, uh, oh no, 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 it's, it's one of the, one of the writers is like, oh, I'm doing good to Tracy Jordan. And then Tracy Jordan is like, uh, Superman does good. You're doing well. Um, sorry, that always sticks in my head anyway. So she wants to bang Tyler's father. <laughs> Um, that is a hell of a segue to get to that. So, so I, and again, I'm kind of, I'm kind of on the fence about this. So she talked about her husband and how her and her husband were trying to have a baby. And then she transitions to talking about how she is babysitting, how she grew to babysit Tyler and how the reason that that came about was because, um, was because her, her, Tyler's father was super hot and she wanted to have sex with him. And, uh, there's this, like, I, so the vulgarity and wishing for infidelity is kind of funny, but it already makes her completely unlikable. Like I had struggled with this, not from a morality standpoint, but I had struggled with this because I couldn't tell if she is telling the story of babysitting Tyler as this, as this story about how she met her husband, because she had, she was just talking about how, um, her husband has a weirdly shaped dick and, um, <laughs> and how they got sushi together on their first date or something. And then suddenly she's talking about how she is babysitting Tyler and how he watches her come up when she come, when she, when she gets home. And then she's like, Oh, I want to bang, you know, I want to have sex with Carl, his father. And like, I was wondering like, okay, is that supposed to be her one wanting to have, um, an extramarital affair or is this supposed to be her talking about her before meeting her husband and how she came to be like ready to become a mother? So I was just very, it, I, it felt a little bit unclear to me. 
Um, and from what I understand, um, it was just that she wanted to cheat on her husband, which I mean, you know, um, again, not a prudish thing, but it just doesn't make her likable, um, in really any capacity. And it also doesn't really come across as comedy or like, or even as like the character having lowered inhibitions from alcohol. It just comes across as being a deeply flawed and frankly shitty person for a character. Um, so it just kind of seems like it plays up this whole train wreck element. That's, I don't know. It's, it's popularized in pop culture. I'll talk about that in a bit, but it's just, it just doesn't work for me. Um, it's not compelling for me or anything. Um, and it doesn't lead me to really like the character. Um, but I will say that I did find some nice resonance with her when she was talking about how the bond with, uh, with Tyler formed. And she talks about how, um, he was incessant about telling her about Spider-Man and, um, she eventually just grew to, to care about him and, and, and like him. Um, and again, this kind of repetition, this is a kind of common theme throughout most of these episodes is this kind of the script kind of hones in on one element to kind of repeat it and recur, like uh, reuse it throughout the episode. And then kind of having a, maybe in some cases, not a big moment, but having this kind of wraparound thing or having it pl uh, come into play. And in this episode, it is, it is done spectacularly well, um, amazingly well, or, um, uh, the amazing Spider-Man, uh, ultimately well, um, so I don't know. Um, anyway, I got pretty far from home on that one. Um, anyway, okay, let's, okay. My homecoming to this, to this recording. Um, that was a stretch anyway. Um, so, uh, let's swing back into this review. Um, the repetition of Spider-Man references and talking about Spider-Man talking about how Tyler is obsessed with Spider-Man really, really primes us for the shock at the end. And in that respect, this is a very strongly written episode, and it is quite a bounce back from uh, the previous episode, which I wasn't a big fan of. And this was just, I mean, it took a while for me to latch on to it. It took it like throughout most of this episode, I was not that invested in it. I wasn't that engaged by it. But when that hits at the end, like that hits at the end, <laughs> um, which obviously I'll talk about in a little bit. So uh, she then goes on to kind of describe... And I love the the kind of slow and steady pacing of the of the monologues that she delivers because it is just transitioning her into these different elements of the character and and loosening her up and telling her more truthful parts of her story. And so in that respect, she describes how she hates herself and how she doesn't blame her reproductive organs for betraying her. And holy shit, that's sad. <laughs> like that is incredibly sad. That is such a downer. And also. I feel like it was kind of weird that she would describe all of that to an eight-year-old. So I don't want to nitpick or anything, but I thought that that was kind of strange. But she follows that up by, with talking about how, um, like, that bond formed with Tyler and how, like, the um, the kind of listening and talking it out, talking their feelings out and everything was reciprocated because she was talking to him about uh, how she comforted him for being bullied and everything. And... Um, 
that that's a nice moment and then it's undercut by the comedy which i i did kind of get a kick out of because she says that oh tyler then said that oh vivian i think the name was vivian uh, vivian says that you're sad <laughs> and it's just a comedic way to bring her into the fold and bring us into the fold of her realization that carl had a, had a girlfriend and she mentions how the girlfriend was annoyingly beautiful and french looking because she was french and everything and she was just very disappointed and everything by that. And I really, at this point, I really, really thought that this was going to take a happy turn and reveal that her friendship with Tyler led her to meeting her husband wherever they got sushi and led her to being prepared to be a mother. I kind of, for some reason, I just thought that that was going to be the trajectory of the episode. And that was definitely not the case because this goes into some very tragic, very sad, very very horrifying um, places. So she talks about how she's still babysat after realizing that Carl had a girlfriend and would therefore not be um, a, would not be paying her in sex uh, for the babysitting, which again, if she's married in that, like that's just kind of weird how cavalier she is or how, how just not, how that isn't a factor in it. It's just, it's just kind of not I'm not saying that from a from a moral position. I'm saying that from just a convolution or convoluted position because I don't know. Am I supposed to be like? Is is this supposed to be when she's single, or is it supposed to be just an extramarital affair that she wants? I don't know. It just it didn't really work for me. Um, so. Um, <laughs> And she talks about how she became fond of Tyler. And um, then it gets to just some weird points where she's she talks about how she would pretend that it was her house and her life and that she was Vivian or or whoever the French woman was. And she says that one time uh, she got she went to their bedroom, got naked and dressed in his in Carl's girlfriend's shoes. And again, this is where I have like the most like uh, not i guess most most problem with this kind of train wreck persona because the train wreck persona is supposed to be entertaining but it's really just incredibly pathetic and that i don't i can't really forgive in this because in because it just it just doesn't fit it doesn't it doesn't make her a sympathetic character the way that i think that it is intending to and maybe that's my own personal bias because like I just feel like in pop culture, culturally speaking, I feel like the romanticizing of self-medication through alcohol and like how, like how wine is branded to like, like mothers and, and women because, oh, it's hashtag wine o'clock. And I just, I don't like the idea of, you know, alcohol consumption and self-medication and everything being branded as a, um, as, as an activity, as a, not, not necessarily as an activity, but as a personality trait, <laughs> like it's just, it's, it's obnoxious and, and dumb and, um, and really pretty harmful in the grander scheme of things to people who have like addictive personalities. I don't know. Um, anyway, so Carl and the girlfriend found her in the bedroom naked with the shoes and kicked her out and said that she's never to come near Tyler again. And so that's when she reiterates and says says again and kind of um, further primes us for the reveal at the end. She says that Tyler comes out to see her every time she comes home because they have kind of a shared driveway in their houses. And she doesn't think that they ever told him why she doesn't babysit him anymore. And 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 so so that's kind of priming us for the reveal at the end, the tragedy at the end. And I 
gotta say it's more clear in this viewing that she's in a waiting room um it's just too vague in service of the reveal at the end of the episode and then as i typed that note she says i can't actually remember what i'm waiting for (laughs) why the fuck am i here i wish i could remember how i got here and so that is like cementing the idea of her being in a waiting room and her being kind of in there waiting um and it also switches the tone of the episode. It it transitions to a tone of her being at the birthday party, which is separate from her backstory of of, um, of babysitting Tyler and wanting to have an affair with Carl. Um, she goes on to recount the events of the party, and she says that she wasn't drinking, not at first, and she was um, annoyed at all the boring people and how they were showing her pictures of their kids and everything. So to hide away, she went to the bathroom, and she hung out in the bathroom, and she miscarried like she reveals that she was pregnant and there was blood and she miscarried in in the bathroom and uh, it's that was fucking intense and weirdly weirdly cruel um and graphic and harsh she talks about how what she'd been waiting for what she'd been wanting was right there in her bloody underwear and like that is just fuck i mean that is just that it, it it feels a little too dark to me. And maybe as of this recording, it's, it's May 18th. I might be more sensitive to that since a friend's wife recently miscarried, um, in, in real life. And that just makes me more sensitive to that. And just, I mean, it just seems so cavalier and, and just in a little too matter of fact. Um, and it's, it seems more written for the idea of it being a reveal than it being like a traumatic moment um, for her because the tragedy, the trauma that she suffers as a result of that, that like that, the actual trauma that leads her to the waiting room is makes the miscarriage secondary and the trauma of that secondary. And that kind of feels just a little reckless and a little discombobulated. So she leaves the bathroom and she says that she drank and she drank and everything, which also like, I just kind of wonder like what two year old's birthday has a bunch of alcohol. Like that's kind of, kind of a weird disconnect for me, but I haven't been to a lot of, uh, uh, two year old's birthday party. So I don't know. So this switch in tone where she talks about the party is effective. And I'm really thankful that it isn't romanticizing day drinking or self-medicating, like I said before, but it's also carrying on this idea of like this comedic tone that has been present throughout the episode up until now. But it's 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 clever in the way that it presents it as this fun party moment carrying on this this carefree kind of train wreck style um, comedic tone. But it's clever in the way that she presents it as that fun party moment but then it, it gradually shifts over to that reality of like her not really partying or anything, but her fighting over the bottle and her being screamed at that she's ruining the party and the realization that everyone sees that she has had some kind of medical emergency and she looks down and sees that she's bled through her dress. And like that's that moment is where everything kind of clicks together and really kind of comes home in the monologue. And Honestly, like my, my issues, like they're not, they're not deal breaker issues by any stretch. Honestly, I think that in terms of writing, this episode is incredibly, incredibly like well-written and it's a very good, like written piece. Um, 
in the monologue department and in the pacing and the story elements and everything. It's just really well done. So she, uh, she goes, and this is, this is kind of, man, this is, this is such an important part of the, this episode. So she gets into, she talks about how she gets into her car. She's crying. She's, she's delirious. She realizes like, oh, it's not that far from her house. She can still drive even though she's been drinking and she's clearly like not in a, in a state to drive by any stretch. Um, and as she's delivering these words, this monologue, this performance, Constant Wu's performance increases in intensity throughout these words, throughout these, these beats of this, of this monologue. And it's just like, my qualms with the tone and the mismatch of the, of the kind of story elements of this episode, notwithstanding, I feel like Constant Wu gives an incredible performance, all things considered. Like, this is an, an incredible performance. So she talks about how she's swerving. She's not, she's not very coherent or anything. She hits a mailbox, and then she uh, crashes into a tree. And she says there's colors and cracking and limbs, and then there's a beat. And she says, and a Spider-Man figurine. And then that's when she breaks down crying and holy shit. So of the five episodes of the show that I've seen, this is hands down the single best moment so far for me. And I say that as someone who adored Anthony Mackie's performance in Tom and was really enamored with the use of a Roadcaster Pro in Leia. <laughs> um, but what I love about this moment in Jenny what I love about this moment is how shocking it is and how unexpected it was for me. Like I literally gasped at this moment because for some reason, I don't know if it's because my, I wasn't as attentive to this episode as I would have liked to have been, or I should have been when I first watched it, or if it's because it is seated so well in the script, but I had no idea that that's where it was going. And to kind of back it up a little bit, even before it got to that, as I was watching that, watching it that first time, I find my I found myself really wondering like wait when is the science fiction element going to come into play in this because so far there's nothing science fictiony about this except for her scanning her retina to start her car like that's about it really and uh, the reference to her husband being a bot consultant um, but even that I mean I run automated bots in my, um, job, <laughs> but it's, it's not like, it's not, it's not Anthony Mackie. It's bots to process anyway. So bots to process, that is my rap name. And, uh, anyway, so, uh, anyway, I gasped when the episode revealed that she killed a kid. Um, and, uh, that's a terrible transition. So, um, I gasped, I was shocked. I was really into it. And then the episode breaks, it breaks into the quote unquote real world. And we, it's re the reveal that her consciousness is currently being uploaded. That's why she's in the waiting room and we get the, the design or we get the logo of the, whatever company it is. It's called E-Ternity, which I think is kind of cute. I wonder if that'll be referenced in, in one of the remaining two episodes. I'm not sure, but then the technicians say that she's ready for her memory extract because she's a memory donor. And that's when the technician realizes who she is and says, Oh, she's that, she's that woman who, you know, killed a kid. Um, and he's, he says that it's that the memory extract is going to take 10 minutes and he has to go, then he's going to go on his lunch break. Um, and then he says, well, you know, I'll let her sit there for a while while I go on my lunch break and then I'll come back and do it. So it's kind of this cruel harshness, um, that really, really 
reminds me uh, like this this episode is another episode that's very reminiscent in tone to black mirror um which i don't know if that's i don't know if that's <laughs> i don't know if that's necessarily a compliment or at this point or if it's or if it's a criticism that it's kind of just really playing into this kind of um black mirror-esque reality um which I love Black Mirror, so and this episode does kind of make it its own thing, so I can't really say for certain that I am uh, criticizing it for that. I just think that it fits that tone. There's like a squirrel or something on my balcony, or maybe a cat. I can't tell. The pizza is going crazy. Anyway, so um, then that's really the end of the episode, and... I want to mention that one of the technicians, I think it's the technician that's on the screen who has his back to us the whole time, is actually played by Chris uh, Diamantopoulos, uh, who played Joe Beaumont in Nightmare at 30,000 Feet from the Twilight Zone 2019 season one. Uh, kind of an interesting um, kind of uh, connection to other science fiction anthology shows. Um, and it's, it's kind of, I do want to mention like just, this is an aside, I'm done with the review and everything. And this is an aside that it's that the structure of the, of the, um, credits in the show is kind of weird. Um, because when we get the credits, it shows like the, the, I think it shows the cast and then part of the crew and then the co-stars for the episode. So like in this, like every episode co's quote unquote co-stars Morgan Freeman as Stuart, because he does the voiceover. And then there's more crew, and then, like, when it's ap applicable to the episode, we get guest stars. And that's where I saw Christy Amantopoulos' name. So I just thought that was kind of weird. I don't know what, what the deal is with that. But that is my review of Jenny. I mean, it is a very, um, it's a very tricky episode. Like, there's some things that I really didn't like about it in terms of the tone and romanticizing this kind of persona that I feel like in, in culture is just way too... Um, I don't know. It's, it's way too romanticized and, and dumb. It doesn't fit my personality or anything. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It just doesn't really fit with me, but the actual kind of reveal, the revelation at the end of the episode, um, does hit home. It does create this really intense, um, revelatory moment at the end of the episode, which I did appreciate. I did appreciate it for that and thought that it was a really well-constructed written episode. And the performance by Constance Wu is ri like ridiculously good. Um, she does a really great job of carrying the performance throughout the episode and carrying the episode because she's the only performer. <laughs> so I really liked it for that. And again, I, I feel really icky and not really that interested in the or i feel like it was a little reckless to go to the lengths of darkness that it does but it does bring it home in a good way or in a solid way if not derivative way from from black mirror but that remains to be seen um so yeah so that is my review of jenny um hope you guys enjoyed it let me know what you thought and uh and yeah so next up i have two more um it's not a duel um, I've got two more shout out to comedy bang bang. Um, anyway, and Scott Ackerman. So anyway, um, I have got two more reviews of this, uh, of this show to go. I've got, I think it's Nira and Stuart. Um, and again, Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. If you pledge $10 per month, you get access to all of that right up front. Um, so you get access to, you'll, if you sign up today, you'll get access to the RSS feed that has these two episodes already available. So you won't have to wait until next Tuesday and the Tuesday after that 
and uh and yeah and there's also a bunch of other fun good stuff on patreon that i that i post and everything so it's great it really helps me pay the fees to to run all of the podcasts and everything and it's really good to just you know make money off of this this content but if you are not financially able to support uh, me on Patreon or anything, no worries because I appreciate you listening at all. <laughs> Especially 56 bonus episodes in and like 74 regular episodes in and like 5 or 6 or 4, four or 5 special episodes. So anyway, um, I'm done rambling. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next time for Nira and whatever the main feed episode is. Thank you guys for listening and I'll see you next time. Now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Today on the Patreon podcast thing, um, uh, I am reviewing episode 6 of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. One world, one people. So this episode is the kind of the culmination of this mini series show on Disney plus. And I do think that, or I hope that, like I said, I could not stifle that yawn. I, I want, I really, really wanted to try to conceal that, but I couldn't. So anyway, as I said last week, I'm really hoping that the Falcon and the winter soldier has a second season. I really hope that there's, more to this format for these characters and I kind of feel like the ending um of this episode and in the season I kind of feel like that leans into that with retitling it Captain Captain America and the Winter Soldier but who knows um however it, it, Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com for a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more can be found in the Obsessive Viewers Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewers annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, 
over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Yeah!